Esports has evolved from its humble beginnings. It's become an enormous industry with hundreds of thousands of young people dreaming of reaching the top. And just like any other traditional sport, to reach the top, you have to optimize your performance. Taking care of your physical and mental health is one of the components to achieve this. At Flytro, we're developing our app to assist players in realizing their potential to become the best player they can be. Welcome to the Flytro Podcast with me, your host, and a very special guest today, a sports psychologist who has pioneered the esports space, working with top teams, Astralis and SK Gaming, and back-to-back TI champions OG, Mia Stelberg. Welcome to the podcast today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. I've been a big fan for a long time. The work you've done with sports psychology and esports, I think, is very exciting. I first heard about your work, the work you did with Astralis when they went on to win one of the majors in the US. Was it the Boston major or? Atlanta. Atlanta, yeah. So that was the first sort of introduction to sports psychology and esports that I certainly had. And I think for a lot of people, it was the first introduction that they also had. So in the past, you've obviously worked with Astralis. But you've also worked with other CSGO teams, teams in different esports genres, League of Legends and Dota. And you're currently working with SK Gaming and OG Esports. That's correct. So tell me about the work that you did originally with Astralis and how you got into the esports space because you were working with traditional sports psychology before esports. So how did that sort of transition become and what was the major difference? Matt, you have the longest questions ever. So let's answer <laughs> to all of those three. Um, yeah, so you're right about the fact that I have a, a history in traditional sports and I think that background has served me quite well in the gaming world. Um, there's huge benefits from having understanding and experience from, from traditional sports. There's lots of tools and, and, and lots of things that we can also integrate into the world of gaming. Uh, I think why Astralis recruited me was that they were smart enough to understand that gaming is a mind game. Emotions has so much to do with the performance side. I always say it's game of minds. So in that sense, I think those guys were the first ones to understand the bigger picture of being successful and also remaining there. And um, obviously, yeah, the the bigger audience or the bigger crowd got introduced to the the sports psychology side probably after the first major. And then uh, other teams got really interested and curious about it. And now coming back to 2020, I'm super happy to see that so many teams and so many organizations have people supporting the players, uh, making sure that they are improving, uh, taking care of them on, on, on the mental side and the well-being side as well. So definitely we've seen uh, a very big change in the community and how it works. Yeah, yeah. And it's not just about improving results is it it's it's also about improving like you say the the player wellness and mental state of mind both in and out of the game 
yeah, sleep, stress, what kind of a teammate you are, what kind of skills and tools do you have for communication. There's so many different levels in uh, working with the psychologist. Um, and it's also quite individual. Um, all the players are so different in their strengths and weaknesses that you kind of like need to find what they need to evolve, uh, to, to grow, and then you work on that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that stress affects us all differently, doesn't it? You know, some people will harness the idea of playing in front of large crowds and mm. potentially use that to their advantage, whereas it might affect other players in a sort of negative uh, way in so that they can't perform to their best ability, essentially. Absolutely. And that's that's really fascinating to see that some guys are blooming under pressure and, and when they're in a position where they have to perform. And then again, another guy might be massively underachieving due to the same circumstances. Yeah. And you've been looking at data within your work and research with the players already. Is there a significant difference in data between someone, one of those players who is playing really well under those sort of circumstances in a live setting versus a player who's not playing well? Mm. Yeah, so I would say that uh, one key factor is experience. The more seasoned you have more of a buffer between you and the other world, the stress factors or whatever we want to call them. So experience is one then the second thing is your personality. What kind of relationship do you have towards yourself? What kind of expectations do you have? It's quite surprising how many times you find yourself in a situation where you just have to state that your worst enemy is yourself or your expectations. Then the third thing is quite often issues with teamwork, trust yeah. or bouncing back from a loss or communication or all these kind of different situations where you just end up with with a team when you have five mostly young people traveling around the world and, and just trying to make it. Sometimes it's a human experiment. Yeah. And what's the psychological implications of all the travel that the players do? I mean, we look at the esports industry is constantly being compared or making its own comparisons with traditional sports. We look at the footballers who are roughly within the same sort of age bracket. Maybe in esports, that age bracket is a little bit lower as well. So you see younger players breaking into the top end of the scene from a sort of earlier age, and it's more common. But the amount of traveling that they do in esports seems to be more than someone in a football team. These schedules, you know, way into the sort of 200 days plus a year of traveling to and from events. How does that impact players from a mental or psychological level? Mm. So when you compare gaming into traditional sports, there's a couple of things that we need to remember. Your example, just previously what you mentioned was there was actually two things that I would like to say is, first of all, when you have a footballer in their 2022, they have a completely different background than a gamer. So if you are a footballer, you've been playing football from age seven or nine or or whatever, you've been going to your practice, Mm. you have a coach, you have to be there at five, you already have your teammates, there's constantly somebody supporting you, you're getting feedback, you you go to specific games, and then you analyze them, you have support, then you're 
becoming a bit better than you're 12, 13, 14, then you're already on a circuit where, where you really have quite good quality practice around you and, and equally talented people surrounds you. And then if we go to the world of gaming, these guys are hobby players. They do not have a structure around themselves. So when you become 17, 18, 19, and you're really good and you get a contract, that's the first day when you will have somebody who is professional giving you any kind of advice offering you any kind of structure. So yes, mentally, gamers, they have to grow up overnight. Yeah. Yet again, on traditional sports, we have so many footballers and ice hockey guys and whatever, you name it. They've been in that system for 10 to 15 years prior becoming professionals. And yeah. we do not have that structure yet. So yes, that's already one thing that does affect the mental side that does affect your skills and and uh, how you look at things yeah. and then the other thing that we need to take into consideration if we are evaluating the differences is that in football you never ever ever have five games a day and in gaming we do so when we are at specific events so we are playing um to qualify for for some tournaments we might have three to, to five games a day in my career, I remember once being in Katowice and we played eight maps. I mean, you think a football game lasts 90 minutes. Um, exactly. You know, so that time spent in the game, essentially on a uh -huh. football field. It's almost incomparable, isn't it, to a lot of the situations I that... I agree. Yeah. So there are so many different circumstances that, that makes the world of gaming quite unique. Although I can see the comparison there. But still, these guys are under a lot of pressure and they yeah. are expected to perform with very little or none of that structure that we give in traditional sports. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I like the way that you immediately understand that the gamers, like you say, they're hobbyists, whereas footballers have been playing for, in some cases, Premier League academies or championship absolutely. academies and World champion. they've yeah, had that structure around champions. them. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I I'm not saying this in a in a disrespectful way when I say that we in the gaming world don't have that and I'm calling people with the hobby background phrase. I'm not saying it in disrespectful way, but I'm just wanting to talk about the fact that these guys are expected to grow up overnight. Yeah. Talk to me then about what is esports psychology? So I know that there are sort of five main topics that, at least from my own personal research that I've found, and there's handling stress and pressure, the success paradox, increasing your motivation, preparing your mind, and working with coaches. Those relationships with your coaches is one that I keep seeing pop up. But to you, from, from your own words, what is esports psychology? I would have to say that it is just psychology. Quite often people think that it's something that's weird or difficult or complicated or completely different field. I would have to say uh, that all humans have the same kind of needs despite where they are performing or where they are living or whatever they are doing. So if I'm working with a young musician, they probably have the same kind of worries or, or problems that a young gamer would have. So Sport psychology is a field of psychology where we are trying to enable people to perform better. I'm always trying to find 
people's line or barriers or where they say that I cannot go further limiting their own skills or expectations and I just grab their hand and we just move forward and pass that and say you see we did it so I'm there to support them in whatever it is that they need so sometimes it actually is fixing issues with their own self-image self-confidence or sometimes it is just by having them figure out the motivation part yeah. Sometimes it is about coping the stress. So I would have to say that that e-sport psychology is classical, traditional sport psychology with a twist, having it on warp speed because we are not in normal <laughs> world. I would have to describe, but otherwise it's it's very very classical. Yeah, the handling the stress and the pressure, and you mentioned then that players will say you know they've sort of reached their limit. I know that you're doing lots of exciting things right now in your current work, but I think one of the best illustrations of how sports psychology can work within esports was the Astralis kind of example, because their team was struggling with reaching the finals of championships and majors and things like that. It seemed like after you'd worked with them, they almost overnight that seemed to dissipate and they went on to win the major and then they became one of the most successful if not the most successful csgo team that there's been to date Mm. how did you break through that that mental barrier with them first of all uh, i think they made it because they were ready to perform and i think they were just so motivated to work for it i see my position there just as somebody who supported them and and had some ideas on how to do things. I'm always quite, I would say that I'm quite into the thinking of that we do empower these athletes, we do empower these gamers to perform better, but it's them who owns their success and, and it's them who did the job. But yeah, with them, it was very, very easy because they were just so motivated and, and just so driven to become the best team in the world. And for me, they were really like dream clients. They were really nice, super smart guys. And they just did what we agreed on. Yeah. Sometimes willingness. you can. Yeah, sometimes you work with players or teams and you try to give them ideas and tips and tools and they say, yeah, yeah. And then they just do what they did before <laughs> and continue as usual. Um, but with that, they allowed Danny and me and, and everybody else around them to influence them. Yeah. So if I have a player who allows me to influence them, then we can move forward in a really fast pace. But sometimes. It takes a bit longer due to barriers or boundaries or refusal mm-hmm. of, you know, people don't like to look at their mistakes or their flaws. Yeah, I think it's human you nature, hear a isn't lot it? Of, yeah, it is. But you have to be brutally honest. And if you have like, okay, so why did we lose the last game? Well, you know, it was this and then it was that. And then I didn't sleep that well. And, you know, my mouse felt a bit weird and blah, blah, blah. No, actually, you just played bad. So you can't build build a future if if you're not being honest. And those guys are honest. So it was really easy. There was no bullshit. Talk to me then about the the work you're doing currently. I don't want to go too much into into what you've previously done, as it's fairly well documented online and people can find out about it. You worked with OG. They've become back-to-back TI champions, so an extremely 
successful story on their part, but you've been working extensively with SK Gaming. So talk to me about the work you're doing with there and are you working with one team or are you working across multiple disciplines, different titles? Yeah, so SK Gaming, I'm, I'm super excited to work with them because it, it was founded more than 20 years ago. So actually that's the first professional esports organization in the world, as I know. And I'm excited to be a part of that team. So we have uh, two League of Legends teams. We have FIFA. We have pretty much everything there. So you get to explore with different players, with, with different games. And I think that's fascinating. But the emphasis on my work is on the League of Legends teams, uh, LAC team mostly. And um, I do fancy that. And I, I mean, the similarities with Dota and League is it's there. And um, yeah, it's, it's really cool. It's something also when the organization is big enough is professional enough then they kind of like invest into these professional we for example have uh, young benjamin kugel there as the physio guy who is head of performance and he used to be the coach for the german football team when they won the world championship and he's been working with the most successful players in traditional sports as well so we do have a dream team there with our own chefs and everything so we have um, the structure on the players is really good and we do take really good care of their well-being so in that sense if i'm talking to them about fatigue or or eating healthy or sleeping um, in a way that supports their gaming then we have an expert there um, exactly guiding them towards that so for me it's highly motivational and I do enjoy it a lot. Yeah. Sounds like they have the structure that we were talking about with regards to traditional sports and your footballers. Yeah. It seems like that they've started to implement a lot of that structure around their teams at the moment. I think it's interesting talking about having, you know, chefs and performance experts and yourself as a site of sports psychology expert. It's impressive to see that happening do you see that often or have you seen that much with other teams in the industry, ones that potentially haven't worked with or ones that you have worked with? Is it something that's galvanizing attention now, having this player wellness structure around the players? Absolutely. The the change is huge. When I started, nobody was really into that kind of support and nobody was really wanting to have that kind of organization because also it is rather expensive. So now compared to, to what it was then and what it is now, I'm very, very happy to see the change. And also I think that the players are understanding the meaning of having a good team around you. So when you are a good player, you're under negotiations, like where do I sign? Where do I play? Which team do I choose? Obviously, if you have a good team that's there to support you, that's something that might make the decision for you. So mostly these guys are already knowing to ask for it. So we need to have a physio. We need to have all of these people. That's a really interesting perspective as well. Obviously, I mean, like those guys, like those top 20 guys in the world in any kind of a game, they do understand. So we do have chefs and we do really strictly follow certain kind of routines to maximize the performance. And also like the level of gaming has improved in CSGO or Dota or League or whatever so much annually that if you don't follow up, 
then you're bound to disappear from the picture. So the competition is so hard, so tough right now that that's the only way to do it is to do it right. Yeah, I think that also having this team around you gives you the the endurance and the stamina to keep playing at that level. Football was always a big part of my life growing up. There's two major differences between the clubs in my area, Liverpool and Everton. Liverpool had had more success and more money put into it. And therefore, the training facilities were much better, much more built up. That I'm assuming the network and the team that works with the players was more beneficial to you as a player if you were to get that offer. And I know that there's been people in the past who have grown up on Merseyside and they may be Everton fans, but they chose Liverpool because it had a better structure around that academy. I feel like that's now a decision that's going to be coming into people's minds now when joining, you know, new LCS teams or existing LCS teams, which teams have those better structures. It's not just about the names that they're playing with. Absolutely. I think that the market is changing and everything is kind of like becoming more and more professional and people are getting more aware of the fact that you just need the right people around you to become the best in the world. Yeah. What do you think the um, industry needs to do still? I mean, obviously, there are so many teams around the world with different kind of cultures, so it's difficult to generalize. But I would say we are on the right path. We are moving to the right direction. And there are lots of good things happening on the field. And I think that we still have a lot of work to do. And sometimes I'm still quite worried about the players and the amount they have to perform or play, travel, stay away from their parents or girlfriends or families or whatever. So I think that we still need to do a couple of things until I'm content as a psychologist and I do not need to prevent certain kind of problems anymore. There's a lot of problem prevention involved in my job where I just need to fix something before it becomes an issue. And many times it is because we just don't have time. Yeah. We don't have time to change players. We don't have time to practice enough. There's so many things happening all the time and they just need to adapt to it. Yeah. What do you think still has to change? If you could sort of look at teams that you're working with or leagues that you're working with, anything like that, is there anything that you would personally like to see happen? I would like to see that the player path to professionalism would look a bit different. So I would be extremely happy if we would have a better kind of a structure, um, a better kind of a way to grow into a professional player. So when you're at a certain kind of an age that you could find yourself a club or something that will give you advice, support you, tell you what you need to know so that we would support these amazing young talents a bit better to almost like so an academy or a scouting system. like an academy a lot of lot of organizations do have academies already now but i'm also talking about a couple of step, steps before the academy because right now you need to be already relatively good to become an academic player because they do see the potential that you are then on premier team yeah. within a year so i would i would emphasize on, on the work that we do with 
with younger players and yeah in some academy teams as well that we would then provide them with a better kind of a future or structure around them so that it's not just something it's not just a project that we have that that they do have the same kind of coaching or the same kind of support yeah as they're growing as individuals from an earlier age they're you know learning good beneficial habitual behavior before you know reaching say 18 19 and then like you say they overnight have to make a a lot of adjustments to their habits their behavioral patterns that allow them to sort of execute on their potential yeah and then you're moving away from your home when you get into the academic team then you have to move away uh usually to a different country there's already there a lot of changes that requires quite much of your mental energy so i would i would be really glad to see that happening already that they get the support without leaving their countries or that that in europe that we would be more equal in the fact that what the future looks like yeah. you know if you're born in denmark god damn it you're a lucky bastard <laughs> compared to <laughs> being born in, in 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 some other parts eastern parts of, of of europe well i mean we have to say some of those countries the scene is really amazing as well but yeah and also the contracts and everything because the, the industry thrives through these talented young players so absolutely having more i would like to have a, a world where these guys have better rights that yeah. you don't necessarily need to sign all these weird papers and agree on things and then the third thing i would love to see more girls more women in gaming i do not understand yeah <laughs> as a woman like why don't we see that this is one of the only games or sports in the world when it doesn't matter what kind of color you are what sex you are what culture you represent or what's your religion but still we see white heterosexual males on the service on on big events and and arenas and and this is something that's really confusing me yeah yeah because there's absolutely no there's nothing like you say there's absolutely nothing that would um, explain it explain it yeah (laughs) so there's there's a to-do list (laughs) yeah for sure um (laughs) No, but I, I, yeah, I think that's also a thing. And I think there's probably a lot of contributing factors as to why we don't see that. And I think there's a uh, big cultural shifts that are happening in, in gaming in general. You know, when, when I was younger, you know, gaming was seen as this, you know, really geeky, really nerdy thing where you'd be sat in a dark room all day long, all night long playing games. And that, that cultural perception has shifted somewhat now. And now that Absolutely. it's... And that's much to the success of non-esport titles, you know, like Fortnite, Ninja, and what mm-hmm. he's been accomplishing to bring gaming into the mainstream attention, mm-hmm. and not just esports. And maybe we will, well, hopefully we'll start to see a similar sort of growth with the number of females uh, taking gaming on and potentially looking into it as a career i, know I would there's... be so happy to see that yeah i'm quite alone you know <laughs> yeah, yeah and i i think for me one of the most self-harming things in the esports industry is female only tournaments because it gives this perception that it's male or female and really mm-hmm. that you know there's there's no reason why you can't have female players in the best CS:GO teams in the world or in any yeah. any sport title for that matter. Yeah. 
yeah, hopefully we'll start to see a shift. Um, like we've seen that cultural shift with gaming yeah. and esports being more accepted hobby or sport. Uh, yeah, also, and if somebody would have asked you for four or five years ago that can a woman be a coach of one of the best esports teams in the world, you would be like, well, wow, <laughs> we got to see that happening someday. But it is happening. I'm doing that. So in that sense yeah. also... I remember when I started, people were like, are you somebody's girlfriend? Like, are you somebody's mom? What are you doing in this event? Um, are you like the catering staff or? Oh you know? my word. So, yeah, but yeah. in the beginning, it was really like hilarious to see how you are greeted. I mean, I've been always greeted well in the, in the gaming. Don't get me wrong. But in the beginning, it was just... People nice are just sort of confused. Yeah, yeah. Can you deliver me some pasta or are you something <laughs> So <laughs> like, um, gladly that's changed now. Yeah. Hopefully we'll start seeing more and more women in esports. Sure. As you say, you know, if, if someone had said to me, maybe not five years ago, but definitely 10 years ago, if people had said, we're going to start seeing psychologists in esports, we're going to start seeing coaches in CSGO, there's going to be chefs and health and wellness experts around teams. And some of those are going to be women. There's going to be huge influences online with gaming. I'd have said, hopefully, it'll be very interesting to see where we get to in the next 10 years or even the next five years. I think a lot of big changes oh, yeah. are coming. Absolutely. So with Flytro Pro coming then we're building our software that allows those coaches and those performance teams that support the players, we're building them a software that allows them to look at all of those sorts of health metrics and compare that over time and view correlations with in-game data so we can look at how stress is affecting players in a game throughout a whole game or isolation within one round. All that sort of data, we can start to analyze that and look at how everything from sleep, activity, stress, blood pressure, HRV, heart rate, all that stuff. We're building that data visualization tool for coaches to have a look at. Do you think that that's something that the teams will take advantage of quickly? Or do you think it's something that will similarly take a, a little bit of time for teams to understand that it can give them an advantage? I think that the idea is brilliant and it's much needed. So for sure, if you are an organization that do want to follow your time and, and you understand that having certain kind of metrics and working upon them is equivalent as success or enables you to be successful, for sure, absolutely. So the more data we have of a player or, or the team, the more we can work on things. So for example, personally, I'm really excited to try and use that and also sometimes to describe to the players what's going on, because sometimes it's really difficult for them to say what really happened Yeah. to say that, that why didn't I play that well or why did I play that well? So either way, we do need data. And I would also be really, really interested in using that in recruiting the players. Because sometimes oh, you kind yeah, of like, yeah. like have to take a chance. You're like, oh, the guy talks good, plays good, looks good. But then I would love to test him out a bit. And now we're just on the basis of opinion or statistics around the game. But I would love to use that as a recruitment tool. So 
the closer we get to traditional sports with everything that we can use, everything that we can collect and how we can understand these people better, it's really gold. It's it's really, really important. Yeah. I think it will help coaches and players understand their own game better as well. They'll be able to see why potentially that they all of a sudden might have made what they later perceive to be a bad decision in the game. Yeah, um, absolutely. And they'll be able to attribute that to something tangible rather than guess why they did that or even worse, have no idea. And that, I guess, has repercussions on their perception of their own ability mentally. Um, yeah. And also one thing that's really fascinating is that you need to follow up an improvement. So sometimes we get a player in and we have him on the academy team or we are trying him out with our team. We need to see if he's improving or not. And yeah. sometimes the more metrics you have on that as well. So that's something that you can then again open a discussion around. And that involves the coaching because quite often the coaches in gaming are retired players or they are experts in gaming, but they are not necessarily experts in human performance. They are not necessarily experts in how the reaction time is influenced by nervousness or stress, these kind of yeah. things. So the, the more we can provide them information from the academic world, from the world of traditional sports, I think that's also going to improve the level of training of, of how they're being coached. And yet again, that's good for the ecosystem because then we will have again a huge step forward with, with CSGO or Dota or League or whatever by improving their performance more games more better games yeah definitely how have you found working with coaches to date obviously like we say most of them i actually can't think of any who didn't come from a traditional environment where they've been playing the game that they're now coaching how's that been so far working with those players and those coaches i think it's something that's quite quite important so i see myself as the assistant coach in the sense that I need to support them, I need to help them, I need to provide them tools for whatever they might need. So I'm their left hand or right hand or whatever it is then, but we are a team, you know. Um, if he says something, my job is to back him up so that the players don't get confused by having different experts, having different opinions. You go left and no, you go right. But we mm. talk with the coach every single week about everything that's going on and, and what's happening and what we are trying to achieve so that we have a common goal. We have a very good dialogue and then we go and implement that to the players. So he's an expert in gaming. I'm an expert in human performance. So I think that the alliance between us two is, is very, very crucial in managing the team right yeah but obviously the coach is the boss he says what's on his mind and then we move forward but just, my, just as know, it would be with a with a football manager you know they're exactly, the boss and then they have exactly. the team of experts so around the them yeah. yeah he runs the show but i ask him questions sometimes i disagree or or challenging a bit or ask him to do or execute what he's wanting to do but in a slower pace or trying to improve the dialogue within the team instead of perhaps practicing today for nine hours let's practice dialogue for two and and, and then play for six yeah. whatever it is uh but but we are a team and everybody in that team is equally important yeah brilliant 
I won't take any more of your time, but thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I've enjoyed listening to you talk. I like the optimism about the industry and I think the uptake of player wellness and well-being is really encouraging for esports. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to talk and I do wish you and everyone else who's listening to stay safe, stay healthy. Especially with the lockdown, everyone's going absolutely yes. bonkers. And so, playing. And, and playing, t- playing <laughs> twice as much. <laughs> Thanks very much, Mia. Thank you.